Now it's True Wealth presented by Little John Financial Services. Here is David Littlejohn with True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. All right, gang. Welcome back to the best Tuesday you've had all week. We are stoked to be here. Dave Littlejohn in studio today with Matt Dixon. And we are live on all the usual haunts now. If you find us on Facebook and on uh, YouTube and anywhere else we're supposed to be live, you tell us, right? And speaking of live, if you are interested in joining the show live today, we're going to try crazy stuff like actually answering your questions live. So you can give us a call, 541-673-4464. Matt, Wow, you were quick on? on the number there. Like, well, yeah, you know, I've, uh-huh. it's, I've done this before. Yeah, don't call the office. If you do, they're going to redirect you there, right? Okay. Um, if you want them to send us some kind of uh, communique about it, mm-hmm. sure. I mean, like, you call the office at 541-375-0898, right? And yeah. they can forward messages to us on air and we'll try to get them covered. You can also go to the live stream and you can put them in the feed there. Uh, And those of you watching the podcast, if you send them, we'll answer on a future show, right? Mm -hmm. So all around, but uh, we are interested in delivering value to our list. So you want people to call us and ask us questions. Yeah, I, financial questions yeah, mostly. I like right? it. Uh, it could be a and, and uh, this isn't like stump the host game. That's not what it's right. totally possible. By the way, you can absolutely stump us in real time, right? But we're pretty good librarians, mm-hmm. so that's the key. Is if we don't have an answer, we like to find it. So that's kind of our deal too. Uh, always looking for ways to expand the knowledge base. But after doing this for a couple of decades. I've seen some stuff, mm-hmm. right? So uh, it's fun to answer questions. And, you know, uh, that's how Dave Ramsey got started originally. You know, uh, when he came on air and finally started talking about folks that were in debt, like that really resonated with people. Right. And uh, there are a couple of things that I feel like may really resonate with listeners. One of them is, of course, the, you know, how do you, yeah, how do you get out of debt? How do you improve financial decisions? If Justin were on the show today, I think he would say spend less than you make. Yeah, that's the, the <laughs> I love simplest way. Yeah. There are keep it simple. There are financial laws that we really should write down. We have like the rules for how our office operates, but I swear we should start to write down this the financial rules for everyone, right? Mm-hmm. One of them is spend less than you make. Give me another one. Know the difference between a want and a need. That's a tricky one, right? Right. That's a that's Recognize a fine Recognize the difference between a want and a need. Mm-hmm. What else? Oh, what else? Uh I would like say top three. These aren't in order, right? They're not really in order, but okay. top three. Uh, the other one would be uh, to calculate the full return on investment. I feel like that's an overlooked one. Yeah. Right? Like I get questions from people all the time like, hey, you know, I'm thinking about buying this, you know, maybe piece of property and putting this on it and doing this. What do you think? And I'm like, well, what type of return are you really looking for here? Exactly. And and it's how involved also- do you want to be? There's and there, yeah, because there's all these trades, right? So like, understand the complexity of a financial decision. That is probably a big challenge, and that's that. That's also, it's it's hard to distill it down to like something super easy, like fall off a log. Spend less than you make is really easy. Yeah, right. Like that's gravity. You know, just don't go against that one. Understanding their stream wants and needs. That's trickier. Mm-hmm. And then even trickier, right? And and it gets trickier when you start you to say how are you calculating return on investment mm-hmm. okay and then there's a fourth one that is what's the what's the right order 
Okay, now that's not a, there's not a law to that one. That's a question you should ask yourself. Am I doing this in the right order? Mm-hmm. Okay, because that's the thing. One of the, one of the magic things about... Kind of like, are you trying to run before you can walk? A little bit of that, yeah. right? Or the idea of if you're trying to defer gratification, well, deferring gratification is usually a good thing, but um, but you can but defer they, it too long. Well, let's let's use a real life example, okay? I had this question over the weekend. I won't say who it came from, but somebody was asking me. They're in their mid thirties, and they say, "Look, I don't have a retirement at all, and I've been renting, and I want to buy a house. Should I start a retirement plan or buy a house?" Oh wow, okay, right? This is not really a right or wrong answer to this one. Okay, and they're not mutually exclusive, but the answer for this person's circumstance, and again, this is not generic investment advice, I want you to think through the problem. We're talking about problem solving in finance. Okay? Mm -hmm. So let me ask you first, Matt, I'm curious, what are your thoughts on your heels, right? I'm just yeah. asking out of nowhere. If you had to choose between buying a house or starting a retirement plan what do you do first if you said right now in this moment in time i would start the retirement account just because i think home prices have some room to fall right i mean mm -hmm. the interest rates keep going up we are seeing price cuts right like go on zillow look at it it's not oh, hard it's to real. see I mean, like, yeah. and and these are not surprises right, right. Uh, i've kind of been saying for a while now that i thought it would start with commodities watch lumber prices and commodity prices and you'd see Demand destruction. Here's, You've heard that phrase yeah. before. Here's the way I look at it. If you go just find an investment calculator, start punching in the numbers, every year that you wait, like you're just shooting yourself in the foot, right? Mm -hmm. The sooner you start, the easier it is to have that accelerated, you know, uh, snowball effect right at the end where, you know, you get that exponential growth. If you keep waiting, it's harder and harder to achieve that. And you're burning yourself on the back end. Right. So I would say start the retirement account. And when you find the right house and the right price, pull the trigger. You can do both. Okay. Now I'm going to turn the question around and say, Matt, Yep. defend for me why you should defend. Mm -hmm. Why should you do the retirement plan first? That, that, oh, well, I just defended it. Okay, good. Then now do you want me to flip it around? It, no, yeah. Yeah. Say it all again. No, yeah. Right. I'm just can, letting our listeners catch into that, by the way, because if you're like, Dave, weren't you listening? No, I was. Matt really did, he did defend that one. But then at the end, he said, you can do them both. Right? Mm -hmm. You notice that? He he actually hedged his bet at the end a little bit. Yeah. Now, let's put up the shoe on the other foot. Can you defend buying the house first? Yep. Sure. Okay. So, so how would you do that? Well, if you are renting and you look at it and say over the course of you know X amount of years, this house is going to become, you know, it's going to be worth more than what I bought it for. And I just got to get into it now. It, I can, I found something, it works, it's in my budget. Go ahead and pull the trigger on it and start making your payments. And, you know, once you get a little bit of extra income, start putting all of that extra income towards your retirement. Okay. So now the real trick question, which of those, Matt, do you feel like you had to rationalize versus it just made sense to you. I feel like, you know, starting the retirement account first made more sense in my mind. So I had to work a little bit harder to mm -hmm. the one of like, because I feel yeah. like you can start a retire. You don't have to have $500 a month into your retirement. You can start with $20 a month, right? right? Like start somewhere, just start. That's the main piece. Right. Like, starting doesn't have to be X amount. Like, start with something. Do whatever you can. Right. Now, 
Here's where I'm going to say for this individual, I'm going to give you a little bit more background. Okay. The person was self-employed, mm -hmm. and their income had grown to the point where it was now a six-figure income. Okay. Okay. And my advice to them was actually not to start the retirement plan first. It was to get into a place that they wanted to be. Now, their circumstances are different. They had pets. They had some other things. They really wanted some of that freedom and flexibility. And here's the flip side of the argument. By the way, neither of these is, are or right, right or yeah. wrong. They're both having to use some extrapolation. And the rationale is interesting because they're, they run parallel. Okay, If the stock market is beat up now, it's a good time to buy when it's cheap. Mm -hmm. If the housing market's expensive right now, it's a good time to wait for a better price. Mm -hmm. Okay, but when you're paying rent to somebody else, it's literally money going out the door. It's true. Okay, so if you could reposition so that you're putting the money you have to pay for housing in your own pocket instead of someone else's, that's typically good. Okay, so in this person's circumstance, they were going to. I, what I advised is take everything that you would be putting toward a retirement plan, and in the short term piled into the capacity to get to a down payment. Oh, okay. okay. I can so, get on board so, with so the down payment. Yeah. everything that you're doing to build up for a down payment. Okay. Yep. And, and I was even saying, you don't pay your student loans down first. None of that. Mm -hmm. Okay. You build up, you, you pay what you need to on your student loans, but, and they didn't have other debt. That was it. Right. But you just pile in a bunch of money that can be a down payment. And then that gets you started. And then you want to make sure that your mortgage and utilities and whatnot all fall within budgetary parameters, right? Of don't, what you were able to save yeah, each month. Just stay yeah. within your means. Don't spend more than you can afford, right? And don't bet on, I'm going to make a bunch more money in a couple of years, so I'll just make be lean right That's now. That's a trap, isn't yeah, it? It's a trap, right? You don't make yourself house poor. Get enough to get into what you can afford based on your capacity. And once you do that, then start the retirement plan parallel to paying off the house. Mm -hmm. Okay. And yes, I like the idea of paying off a house, but I, I don't believe you need to pay off every debt, including your mortgage, before you start a retirement plan. I think that's lunacy. Oh, yeah. And, and the, the, it's very simple. And if you're a person that, and, and look, I'm a former, and I say former not for like bad reasons. I was a, uh, like a Dave Ramsey advisor guy for a while, right? Mm -hmm. And and Dave Ramsey gives just really rock solid advice about if you are behind the power curve with your life because you have spent more than you made, you broke rule number one, you need a fail safe way to get out of trouble again. And that is like, well, then don't ever touch credit again and you don't have that problem. Mm -hmm. And then he will say, well, you can have a mortgage and why? Nobody ever, like so few people ask, why would Dave Ramsey decide to grit his teeth and go, well, the mortgage thing? And it's because houses are really expensive and it's because they're an appreciating asset. Yeah. Right? By and large, in most times in history, and certainly over a 10 year period throughout history, homes increase in value, unless the area is like going to get become a toxic waste dump or something. Yeah, some type and, of know, ghost town. Yeah, it, it, you know, that's a different scenario. Like if your entire town becomes a meth house and it's like condemned, that's a different issue. Mm -hmm. But largely, that's not how it goes in real estate. So we're not going to talk about that, you know, 0. 0.000 exception. We're going to talk about normal. Mm -hmm. And normal is 
buying an asset that appreciates in value stores value and that value is growing at the same time so even though you're paying interest and that's a bummer the interest should be less than you're paying in rent so you're paying yourself something too that's more efficient yeah okay and then it's about good behavior from there okay so anyway um i realized like like we just went super long on the first segment to get through the the point here of how you make these financial decisions like there's this order of problem solving that you need to consider some of it's personally circumstantial and in some of it is looking at the velocity of money in the different areas of your life mm -hmm. right the cost on one hand versus the benefit on the other and the speed of either of those and you know if i can run faster even though i'm dragging an anchor maybe that's the thing i should do <laughs> So we'll unpack some more of these and uh, we'll be looking for your calls as well right after this break. So uh, stick around. Until then, this is Dave Littlejohn and Matt Dixon. And you're listening to True Wealth on News Radio 93.9 FM and 1240 KQEN. All right, gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Radio Show. Dave Littlejohn in studio with uh, Matt Dixon. All right. I'm here, I'm ready to go. And Matt, we invited people to call into the show today. If you've got a burning financial question, mm -hmm. um, you can feel free to drop that on us, and we're going to take these live. The phone number here is 541-673-4464. Right? Okay, that's an easy one to remember. So there you go. Uh, we were talking, uh, you know, before the break, it was other decisions. Uh, Matt and I were talking the other day, and I said, you got to ask these kinds of questions on the air because they're mm. good questions. And we're really talking about what's going on in the marketplace, and we were talking a lot about inflation and pricing and just how sticky was it. Right. Because right. yeah. you were talking house prices, I recall. Yeah, like home builders that, you know, have almost doubled in price, right? And I get it. Lumber went you're through not, the You're roof. talking about like a, like to, a yeah. home, right? Yeah, to show up on your land, build a stick-built house. We're mm -hmm. looking at prices up, you know, almost double. I mean, mm -hmm. what was a $150,000 home is now 275. Yep. And we've seen lumber tail off, like it's still high compared to where it was, but I mean, it's definitely not at its peaks. Lumber's come down a little bit. And so we were kind of talking about how you mentioned wage inflation. Those wages have gone up. Like they have to pay people more in order to get them to work. That part you can't take away. You can lower the cost of lumber, but maybe you can't lower the wage. So how much of that price can we expect to see come down versus how elevated is it going to stay? Or, I mean, if people keep paying the price, maybe those prices don't move lower. I don't know. Well, there's a lot to think about here. There's so many things. So first I want to clarify, too. Home builders oftentimes uh, in on financial programs, people talk about the stock of home builders, right? Cause, right. Because you don't buy home builders. You buy homes built by builders. Mm -hmm. That's what I think we're talking about. Is, hey, yeah. well, we see uh, the price of a home go lower or higher, like the cost to build mm -hmm. a home. The cost to build. Mm -hmm. And... So if the point is that, well, the, the materials that go into building a home are related to commodity prices, right? So you've got right. oil and lumber and copper and, and other commodities that are part of the build price of a home. Mm -hmm. So if those get cheaper, you would think that 
home prices could come down as well. You would think. Right? But there's more to the pricing than that, right? Because you also have the labor involved in building a home. Right. And I agree with you. The cost, like, rarely do you see wages drop, right? Mm -hmm. If you do, you don't see it in the way that, uh, you, I guess, you don't see it as, oh, well, we've employed 100 people at this company, and everybody's going to get a 5% wage cut. Mm -hmm. No, we employed 100 people, and five people lost their job. And now we took, that's a 5% drop in wages for the company, right? If everybody was otherwise paid the same. We just kicked five people out of the pool. Right. And then we can rehire new people later at a cheaper price. And oh, we'll that's bring true. And a different labor, a different labor force. That's true. But rarely do you see we're going to just do pay cuts. Because of the cost to you know train those employees, why would you go through and, and start wiping people out if you have to pay to retrain them? Right. So, uh, and that's just sort of the nature of when you when you hear it's kind of like, have you ever heard of minimum wage going down? No, no, right? So it becomes a cost of doing business, and then it gets reflected in the price of everything else. Here's what blows my mind, though. I just pulled it up on my phone. So I went on Home Depot's website to look at OSB. We sheet houses with it all the time. Sure. Right now, that OSB is going for eighteen dollars a sheet. Oh, that's way cheaper than it was six right? eight months ago. Wasn't it over like forty? Six, it, it was, was over sixty. At yeah, some sixty point. at one point. So the way I'm looking at this, it's like okay, that hundred fifty thousand dollar house to two seventy five. So yep. you priced in the lumber just at all times sky high prices. Sure. And I know you know these big companies, these big builders are probably dabbling in some futures. I would assume they're probably right. I mean, sure. I mean, yeah, we're talking home builders. So Let's maybe they maybe in. they're sitting on a huge inventory of lumber at okay. a higher price that they paid. But still, I mean, it's been months and months and months, and now we see lumber, you know, falling in OSB at eighteen. Right. But that price hasn't budged. That two seventy five that was the cost. Four or five months ago is still two seventy five today, so we're not seeing. Well, because it's not a direct link. Okay, mm -hmm. let's think about this for a minute. Okay, to build a house, the builder also needs a certain amount of margin. Like we right. all need to have. Like you, if you taking a job that doesn't pay you enough to support your lifestyle, just makes you mad, mm -hmm. right? Because because I'm still skating backwards. Right? Yeah. I'm working, then it's not enough. So that's a term called underemployment, by the way. Underemployment, when you have a job or you can't get enough hours, or you can't get enough wages to support your lifestyle, so you're underemployed. Okay? So if you're looking for a term that's going to get thrown around for that. Now, if we talk about even building a house, there needs to be a certain amount of profit mm -hmm. or they won't build it. Right. Okay. Now, part of the equation is certainly the input costs. Okay, but there's way more to a house than just the raw materials. There's also going to be uh, the cost of labor to build it, as we talked yeah. about. There may be permitting and other elements, right? The land underneath the house, you know, the house typically is on owned land, right? right? It's a package. Usually, it's sometimes it's leased land, but that's pretty rare, especially for a stick built 
yeah. uh, home. Um, there's some rare circumstances in like long-term government leases, you know, like the cabins at Diamond Lake. The government owns the land, but they may be like hundred-year leases, so people will still build on them because they mm -hmm. can be there for a lifetime. Well, if we think about the the whether or not you can incentivize somebody to build, there is another element at play, though. I mean, I think I get kind of where where your angle is here because you know, 18 seems cheap compared to what it was, but you go back even further, I can remember OSB not too long ago at like $8 a board. Uh, exactly. And let's think of not just the materials, but how much does somebody want it? Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, I will tell a fun little side story personally. Okay. Uh, I, when, when, when we had our third child and, and our Ford Explorer that had like 150,000 miles on it at the time, uh, was getting to be too small to put all the car seats in. The Explorer was too small. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, because yeah, I mean, I guess so. Car seats wide. The Expedition's you know? bigger, so so it is. But we yeah. didn't have an Expedition, so we right. went shopping and we ended up buying a Cadillac Escalade. All right. Now, a lot of people were like, "Oh, fancy pants!" Right at the time. Now, nobody says that anymore because it's 2010. Right. It's not like it's a new vehicle, but at the time. It was cheaper than buying a Suburban. And if you said to yourself, oh, no wait till you have to fix it or something, and I would say, no, you're right about that. You got it cheaper than a Suburban. Yeah, we did. Wow. It was a better price for a lot more vehicle, and it's it owes me nothing. It has treated us really well. We're at about 188,000 miles on that thing now. Still we going bought strong. it at 63,000 miles. Mm. So like, we have driven it now for six and a half years. Right, so that's a lot of miles. We put some miles on a vehicle, yeah, right, and that's just one in the fleet. So we we log miles, and you know what? All the parents in in our area totally get it. If you've got sports kids, and you know, mm -hmm. if you're you're like up in Eugene or Portland, well, right. you're gonna log some miles, right? Mm -hmm. So that's normal for us. But here's the story: we thought maybe we should replace this. So, uh, it was last year. And remember what was going on in the car market. Mm. Everything's been, the inventory's You're having to up. pay over MSRP. That's what we discovered. And we've, we discovered that to buy a Cadillac, a new one. You could buy a house. <laughs> it pretty darn close. Yeah. I think that we were told with the dealer markup, because, and this is where, I'm going to link it back to houses right here. Okay. With the dealer markup, it was going to be $140,000 for an Escalade. Oh. And we just said, I'm sorry, but I'm not, I may want to drive what a rapper drives, but I'm not a rapper. I don't have that kind of <laughs> And so, and even if I did, no, no, like that's just the answer. Let's say I do Based have on that principle kind of money alone. Yeah. And, and look, I, I guess I can say this because I eat my own cooking as a financial advisor and I've been doing this for decades, I could buy a Cadillac Escalade. But gosh, why? Mm -hmm. Why would you pay such a premium for something? Yeah, what was so the monthly ridiculous? payment estimated at for that? Mm -hmm. What was the estimated monthly payment on a hundred and forty thousand dollar Cadillac? I didn't even bother. Yeah, I didn't like astronomical even because at that price point, I can pay to completely rebuild mine, like right? four times over. And so it's like <laughs> when people say, "Oh, but the maintenance on it," I go, "Looks pretty darn affordable compared to almost any new vehicle right now." Mm -hmm. Just getting a again, go to buy a suburban right now. And they were going to oh, be, yeah. you know, eighty, ninety thousand mm dollars. -hmm. So I'm like, again, no. 
right? Because depreciating asset, not like a house. Let me tie it back to houses now. Mm-hmm. It's not just the input cost. It's not just the labor. That's not how the house gets priced. The Cadillac wasn't just priced for what it cost them to build it. It was the fact that you couldn't find them anywhere. And if you wanted one, you had to pay a premium because other people wanted them too. And there were more buyers than there were vehicles available. Just a basic supply and demand curve. And that's what it comes down to. At the end of the day, the profitability of the home builder is related to the margin on the home. Right. The price that the market will bear is what the market will bear. And that has to do with the number of buyers matched to the available inventory. I mean, it makes sense because, you know, I use the example of, well, OSB went to 60 something aboard. Well, I bet you when it was that price, the builder had a really small margin, even mm-hmm. at 275, right? Yeah. Like, you can't it have much of a margin. It was profitable to build a house when, yeah. and there are structural elements. When I remember, structural element means- A and, fixed cost that you just can't avoid type yeah, thing. Yeah. yeah, well, things like you can't put more dirt out there, right? We have only so many available lots, and so it's not like you can conjure more available home sites than exist. Okay, so you yep. so at some point, if you use all of the available home sites, this is the New York City theory, right? You start building up so you can stack them vertically and build skyscrapers on that area. Now, there are other issues because you have density issues and you have to transport more people for that density level and you have utilities and you have trash and you've got Add all that the other, other issues hydrant. that come with it. Yep. And it's like, okay, you it just made everything more complicated. But if, if it's if there's enough people and you have enough tax dollars flowing through it, you can build elaborate tunnel systems under cities and put trains in them, mm-hmm. right? Uh, we're not going to do that in rural Oregon. We don't even have buses, but we don't have the population density to warrant mm-hmm. that kind of behavior. So, but we do have land use restrictions that will limit the available land, and we have more buyers then we have inventory, which keeps prices really high. And then we have a new problem, don't we? You want to know what that problem is in Roseburg? Yes. What is it? It's the one we'll talk about after oh. this critical profit break. Okay. I know. Remind me, Matt, you know how my mind wanders at the mm-hmm. break. All right. Stick around and we'll be right back and we'll talk about the structural problem Roseburg suffers from and maybe something we could do about it. That and more when we when we come back. This is Dave Littlejohn and Matt Dixon. We got True Wealth on News Radio 93.9 FM at 12:40 KQE. Hey gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Radio Show. Dave Littlejohn in studio with Matt Dixon. All right, and we're joined live as well or on the live stream if you want to catch that and. Uh, you know, go to Facebook or YouTube and you can grab that. Check out uh, Little John Financial and True Wealth. You just search those or Google them. You'll you'll hunt us down. Uh, and if you're joining us late and you want to get caught up, you can, you can grab the, the rebroadcast on those uh, or we'll have the podcast up. We had a, a few internet hiccups early and um, now I think it's stable, right? So, mm-hmm. uh, but that's the nature of live. Sometimes it's going to get a little... A uh, little wonky there. We've got our live viewers. Are we still ready for a phone call? 
Uh, someone yeah, happens if, to if folks want to give a call in, if you've got a question or a comment that you would like to add uh, about the economy, about uh, investing, uh, any of those things, you're welcome to try to throw us a curve uh, or just give us a fastball down the middle. That's great. Uh, 541-673-4464 to join the program live. Uh, Matt, at the break, we asked beforehand, right? We're yeah. talking about... The secret to the area and kind of what's what's driving things. So it was a structural problem. Right? Mm -hmm. We were talking about real estate and housing prices and how, yeah, the underlying costs of the inputs and variables to build a house are one issue, but then you also have the issue of supply and demand, right? Now, the demand side, how many people want houses? Some of that is based on a couple different things, right? Uh, a lot of it's just do you do people like the area? Like I'm surprised a lot of people sort of immigrate or migrate their way to Roseburg. By the way, I was floating the river this weekend talking about people migrating to the area. I floated that river every single year for like 30 plus years. And this weekend was astronomical, like bumper to bumper. A lot of cars. Oh, I've never seen it like that. There was zero parking. There was people on top of each other the entire way through the float. It I was saw wild. driving home that there was just a ton of people, and that was at you know five thirty p.m. I've never seen it like that. I've never even seen half that it was many 100 people. One hundred degrees too. I mean, and that's the water true. levels are still pretty high for a hundred degrees, so that's nice yeah. and refreshing. I I don't blame them at all. What does this have to do with the number of people from California or other? I, really, that's the the dirty secret. We all know it is here's massive how, here's immigration how I from California. Here's how I know. They were on paddle boards. <laughs> there it is. Right there. Like, that that's, was never a thing. That's nonsense. Yep, there it is. That's nonsense. People people from California. I like paddle bend. boards. That's absurd. That's nope. just a new trend. Oh, man. That's funny, though. So, look. The structural element at play here in most of Oregon has to do with the land use restrictions. Okay. okay? And the, the challenge, and this is what we run into in Roseburg, but it's happening all over the state, is that the home prices are driven up by out-of-area folks coming in. It's an increase in demand, but they're not joining the workforce, and we don't have the ramp-up in economic requirement. Mm -hmm. So we don't have the jobs to support the income levels that are required to pay the prices for a lot of the home. So if you have a, an out-of-area person that has their own financing, and, and here's this scenario, and I'm not actually bashing this person when I say this. Okay, This is a faceless example, but it's real. Somebody in California says, I've sort of had it with the changes that have occurred over the last several decades, and for retirement, it's time to go. And you know what? Roseburg's a nice area. It, it reflects either my values or things that I wanted to see or different density level. And it meets a lot of criteria. It's near the freeway. There's a primary hospital system. Hour it's from the got airport. the basic services that we want. And it's a slower pace of life. And I can get a little space to spread out. My mm -hmm. neighbors don't have to share my yard and my driveway and all that stuff. Yeah. So this looks pretty good. And relatively speaking, if you're selling a house that is a two you know like a, a 1700 square foot three bedroom two bath house for 1.4 million dollars in california mm -hmm. and then you can come up here and buy that same home and spend three hundred and fifty thousand dollars. and everybody here goes 350 grand for that are you kidding but comparatively speaking in california you're like that's great the wages there oh are, that's yeah. great so you can do that 
bank seven hundred plus thousand dollars and now float your retirement. And now you've supplemented and had a major retirement switch. And so you own your home, low mortgage and taxes, relatively speaking, no sales tax. And while the cost of living is actually pretty high here, right? Mm -hmm. Like the price oh, of is. things is quite high compared to the rest of the country. It's still cheaper than California. Mm -hmm. And you got all that money left over after you sold your home. So that's a common thing. But what it does is it imbalances the supply and demand curve. It, it skews demand higher, but it doesn't skew the requirement for higher economic activity, right? It doesn't bring a job to town. A retiree isn't bringing jobs typically. They're just coming in and using the services of the area. So what do you end up with? Medicine is one of the biggest. And so the two big industries healthcare. you have is, is healthcare and timber or agriculture, we'll say. But timber is agriculture, just long range. Mm -hmm. And you go, well, so it's natural resources and it's medical. Yep. Okay. I mean, those are the two primary industries of our area. It is. And you go, well, it makes sense, but it creates a structural imbalance, right? This mm -hmm. problem where we now have high demand or the people that come in have a high level of resource so they can outcompete local folks that don't have the means mm. and by outcompeting they drive the pricing up which further exacerbates the issue because now the structural problem is local folks have to go elsewhere or get paid more or well they have to they have to get paid more to stay right or they just leave and then what you have is the area starts to wind down right it gets into a recessionary spiral because if you lose all the workers to perform the services the services stop or the services get really expensive so that they can afford to pay people to come here did you see roseburg was on cnn and they were talking about um the top three um largest growth rates for real estate of any city right. in the united states and it was like i saw the article of dallas texas roseburg oregon and then knoxville tennessee right yeah and it's just radical how the pricing has shot up. Radical. Yeah, I mean, it's insane. So considering that, that's a structural issue that means, you know, the, the way that the economic incentives have laid out, it's kind of made that happen, okay? I, I, would, I would liken this to, uh, it's almost like a naturally occurring event because the cause and effect of other things have driven people there. Uh, that, ha that happens economically. You can drive an outcome. And if you don't believe me, then why do you think Federal Reserve is trying to change interest rates? Exactly. Right? They are looking to drive an outcome. Okay. Now, can they do it right? I don't know. Your guess is as good as yeah. mine. Is my it going to work? My hmm. suspicion is probably not, but it won't be for lack of good intention. Right. It will just be that the more that you unnaturally intervene in an economy, the more that you can get the ballast to overshift to one side or the other. And the boat really rocks. I've had right. a lot of questions lately from people on <clears throat> on why the Fed has been so aggressive. And, you know, the comment has been to the effect of, well, they're going to cause a recession if they keep doing this. And. I, I totally, you know what? I'm going to make you hang on to these. Okay. All right. Hang on to these because if we grab the break now, we can come back 
and we could talk specifically about these Fed questions, and I think they're great. All right. So let's go ahead and do that because the Fed's going to come out with their stuff tomorrow. That's we'll true. Just have, let's have a little Fed chat when we get back. This is All Dave right. Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. They got True Wealth on News Radio 93.9 FM and 1240 KQEN. Hey, gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Radio Show. Home stretch here, Dave Littlejohn and Matt Dixon. I, I like to let you say your own name. Do you? I do. I could introduce you too, but like, it's Dave and Matt. You We're should doing just the show. like start introducing me by fake names every single time. All right. Yes. And with, with Guy Flegelman. Yeah. All right. Here I am. What's going on? Okay. So you started this, and I'm going to let you carry this a little bit because I think you, you've been entertaining questions from. Uh, friends or uh, acquaintances or yeah. people that actually hate you and are trying to get your opinion anyway. Mm-hmm, that's right. So Fed's going to be talking tomorrow. Yep. We expect a 75 basis point rate hike. And if you don't know what that means, tell me later. Um, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, the the resounding question I think that I've been getting is, you know, h- how much can the Fed keep doing this? I mean, do they want us to enter a recession? I've heard that. And what's worse, a really bad recession that could possibly trigger a depression or deflation? That's kind of been the question. Like, we've seen inflation, but... Well, let me ask you, what what do you think? I mean, I personally think we had to raise the rates, right? Because, I mean, we kind of backed ourselves into a corner. Do you believe that... The Fed is trying to create recession. I don't think that they're trying to create a recession. I think that the recession was inevitable. Well, right. The like, I think we were. I think we have typical market cycles, right? Like you just look at history, and you have periods of expansion, contraction, and I think that we just we rode it up as far as we could for as long as we could, and we kept buying ourselves time because we didn't want to see a recession. Right. I mean, recession is politically dangerous mm-hmm. because essentially we blame whoever's there at the time for everything. Right. And right? no president wants to shoulder right. that. No political and, party wants to shoulder that. And and by the way, like that's so common that um, the defense right now is, well, the previous guy caused oh, it. Oh, we've been doing it for so Everybody long. Everybody does that forever. Yeah. It's like, you know, if, you know, the first thing is if it's good, take credit for it. If it's bad, blame the other person. Yep. And that is sort of the, the political way. And none of us is really fooled by it, but we often get sucked in when it's like time to have like little jabs with people. Well, and it's sad because fiscal responsibility gets thrown out the window for it. Yeah. Well, I mean- yeah, yes, there's their simple answer. So I want to go back to your the Fed question, though, right? Mm-hmm. Keep in mind, recession's a byproduct of Fed policy. It's not the intention of the policy. Right. The Fed has two mandates it's supposed to deal with, right? It's supposed to provide for uh, managed and stable inflation, right? So they have a 2% inflation mandate. Mm-hmm. And unemployment of 5%. So they're supposed to manage the job market and inflation. Here's what I think. I think they said inflation was transitory for way too long. Well, they just yeah, kind of kept pushing it out on the back burner so that they didn't have to raise rates and they could just keep buying oh, it. Oh, uh, there were so many things 
like here's the here's my conspiracy theory that's not that conspiratorial, right? Like my this is not just my theory, and it's not the the Fed is likely to raise rates pretty darn aggressively. Mm-hmm. Well, I expect at least a seventy five basis point hike tomorrow. Yep, uh, it's a it's a very outside chance they go go one percent, but I think it'll be point seven five. I think the Fed's pretty clear about that, but I think they may start immediately hinting at as much as a one percent raise again afterwards really yes so you think they're going to double down after this i think they may have to if their goal is to get the damage over with before october before elections right and, yeah. and the point is they want it done in enough time that the election happens without them being considered political they, they don't, don't want to get blamed for it right they don't want to be blamed for election results now the reality is there will be some people that blame period but the, the trick would be to, to not have it be an October surprise. If you could be done in early September, then you're like, look, you guys have two months to deal with you. Okay? I mean, like, the politicians could eat I can their see young. It. So I could see a very aggressive move if inflation does not start to show some signs. Now, it is showing signs that it's, it's abating. Okay? Gas prices are declining. Mm-hmm. Right? And we are seeing uh, – I think what we are seeing right now is the – like the idea of a the way a star before it's supernovas, it's a big bright flash and it collapses into a black hole, right? Well, you see the consumer starting to they've spent a lot of their dry powder and now they're using the credit card, and then there's no more, and that's when the the the, the pressure starts, right? And that's when we're, we're that if, if anybody watched Walmart stock this today, right? What was it down like eight percent today? Yep. Oh, it was 10% overnight almost. Right. Know? And and what did Walmart say? They just said, you know, the forecast isn't looking as good as we hoped for our earnings. Yeah. They guided with caution. And the suspicion is that consumers will still, like same store sales are up. Well, no kidding. Everything costs more. Mm-hmm. So people are still going to the store to buy their essentials. Walmart's the biggest grocery store in the in the world. Mm-hmm. I believe in the world. I'm mean, certainly in the U.S. Should be. They sell the most groceries in the United States. So if that's the case, what they're seeing is fewer discretionary purchases, more of the required staples, right? And food has gotten more expensive. So they're still selling the food, but at lower margins, and they're not selling the other stuff as much. Right. So you're not consumer, buying the flat screen TV with the bigger margin. You're buying the broccoli and cheese. Right. And the consumer, like, they're just out of personal margin. So they're starting to make substitutions, right? Remember, substitution is if you can't afford steak, you go to hamburger. If you can't have hamburger, you go to chicken. From chicken, you go to beans, right? Mm -hmm. And you just make your way down the list when you don't have enough resources to buy more. And we're starting to see that. So I really think that the Fed is still dealing with its primary issues. Well, a recession may come because... The Fed has to kill inflation, and inflation is food and energy right now, right? It's been food, energy, and housing. Well, housing, they're killing off with higher rates, right? Because you can't borrow money to go chase that more any longer. So there's so, one of the three getting. So they, they're they're there they, they go. Notch, yep. But we have a supply chain disruption in food, and the, and the food was and really the supply disruption chain and energy, energy as well. And food are disrupted which means supply is down, but mm-hmm. demand isn't. It's not like, oh, well, gas prices are high, so I won't eat as much. Mm-hmm. Right? That's, not a, that's not a willing substitution. Nope. If that happens, 
people are going hungry. You might not drive as much, but right. guess what? A but but large your calorie requirements are largely unchanged regardless of fuel price. Well, and the way I look at it too, I mean, yeah, we drive a lot, we burn a lot of gas, but I mean, semi trucks, I mean, yep. we're, <laughs> they're up and down the freeways and highways 24 so seven. It's, it's good to see fuel prices dropping some, but it's still really high compared to say two years ago. Mm -hmm. These are crippling fuel prices and they are totally having an effect. So raising rates will further choke off other parts of the economy. Uh, I do expect to see economic activity drop. I expect to see an unemployment rise. These are normal expectations. What I can't figure out is how much of this has the market already anticipated and built into the price. Because hmm. people tell me, oh, the market's gonna crash because of all this, because of recession. I go, the market has seen this coming for months. Yep. It has been pricing these things in for months. The yield curve is it's inverted. It's not like the stock right? market gets caught off guard. Yeah, it's not like, this, right? oh my gosh, the Fed's gonna raise rates tomorrow? You're kidding. Like, <laughs> no, we're talking about the next rate raise already, mm -hmm. right? We're past this. Now it's a matter of saying, well, how is the Fed gonna speak? What guidance will they give us? So anyway, uh, that's kind of my take is that this stuff and and if you get here's here's rule what number if you're like, freaked out by it what if you're well i would say call us because even though we can't predict the future good behavior carries the day okay mm -hmm. and that is a rule right i good smart financial moves don't go out of style that's nice i like that all right well, look, that's the music, so we got to get rocking here. Uh, reminder, you can grab us on a podcast if you need to get caught up. And also, Matt, how do they reach us? 541-375-0898. All right, gang. Check us out at littlejohnfs.com and uh, make sure to grab us next week. But we're out of time for now. Until next time, this has been David Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. You've been listening to True Wealth on News Radio 93.9 FM and 1240 KQEN. The preceding program was paid for by Little John Financial Services. The opinions and views expressed may not reflect those of Brook Communications, its affiliates, or its employees.